Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, this morning is our last uh, day in our sermon series, Grounded and Growing. And in a few minutes, Tim is going to be walking us through chapter three. And one of our, our goals is to remember the book as a whole. So Tim has asked me to be uh, the man doing this recap for you guys. So just want to spend a few minutes looking back at chapter two in hopes of jogging your memory and uh, remembering some things that Tim shared with us and hopefully that the Holy Spirit uh, worked in your lives uh, last week. So uh, as we begin, uh, the sermon last week was all about the consequences of believing a lie. And Tim pointed out that it's really important as we look at chapter 2 of Second Peter to keep in mind that these false teachers are unbelievers. The descriptions that are written about them show that they have not trusted in Christ as their Savior. However, their teaching has drastic effects on believers. That's Peter's focus all throughout this chapter is the consequences that this false teaching has upon them. So Tim uh, discussed that this is highly relevant for us today, the consequences of believing false teaching. Tim shared that his dad would always tell him that if you believe a lie, you will live wrongly. And that principle carries directly over into our spiritual lives as well. So as Tim walked through chapter 2, he listed several consequences that are brought out in the text of believing a lie. So let's just work through those again together. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. And the first consequence is that the teaching of the false teachers has a destroying effect. Look at the first verse. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. This teaching has, uh, it doesn't have a neutral effect. It always has destructive effects. Secondly, believers will be led astray. Verse 2 says, And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. So believers, remember in context, believers will be led astray from the truth to follow this false teaching. Another consequence is listed in the same verse there, that uh, second half, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. As believers, the testimony of the church as a whole can be affected when believers are living contrary to the truth. Another one is listed down in uh, verse 3. Believers will be exploited. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. These false teachers and their teaching, it does not have our best interest at heart. Another one is found down in verse 18. A believer's flesh is tempted to walk in sin. Look at what verse 18 says. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error, attempting to appeal to our fleshly desires and to bring us into sin as we give in to that. Another one, verse 19, a believer can be brought back into bondage. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by whom a person is overcome, 
By him also he is brought into bondage. So although believers are positionally free forever because of the blood of Christ, in our practical walk when we are believing lies, we can be practically enslaved to sin in the present moment. And then finally, uh, verse 20, it says that a believer can be entangled and overcome by sin. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Very serious consequences here. Our thinking matters. What we are trusting in matters. And Peter's wanting to highlight that in these believers' minds and our minds as well. Now Peter's going to transition into chapter 3, and he's going to be discussing things to come and how we are to live in light of eternity. And that's where Tim's going to pick up. Thank you very much. Well, I hope that you guys are enjoying uh, some of these uh, men coming up here and uh, just giving us a bit of review gives us as a fellowship just an opportunity to get to know them and them to not feel so nervous whenever they're around all of us, right? I know you guys can be intimidating, at least some of you anyways, I'm scared. Well, as Micah said, we're into the last chapter of Second uh, Peter and wanting to talk about that, Peter is shifting here to uh, the end times and Next week, Mark will start a, a series on Daniel, and we'll dig into this a little bit deeper. Uh, we'll touch on some things here this morning, but then uh, dive into some of that with some, some detail as we go through the next number of months, probably even into July, uh, as far as Daniel is concerned. So I hope you're looking forward to that. So if you're there with me in, uh, in chapter 3, let's get started on this, because we have lots to go into here. First uh, verse Peter starts off with this word beloved. Now, I just highlight this to you because this, is, uh, this chapter is the only place where Peter uses this term. He's been talking to us and making sure we understand some things as believers. Now, there's almost like this uh, thinking in his mind of, uh, you know, divinely loved ones, dearly beloved ones. Here are some things that I want to kind of finish out with and, and encourage you with. And you'll see this repeated five, six times at least in this chapter here. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle. Remember, First Peter is also written, and we don't have time to go into that, but you can back up and, and you can read through that as well. And you'll see that in both of those, those epistles, 1 Peter and now 2 Peter, he says, I write to you in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So he's trying to stir up our thinking, right? He's trying to get us to, now remember, these are the things that you've read as far as what the prophets have said, and these are the things that we as the apostles have said to you. Do you remember them? And I want you to remember them. Remember, he's told us already that he knows that he is soon to pass away, and so he's writing this down so that we'll have something that we can read and, and, and be used to, to remind us of this. He says, knowing this first, let me get there, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. So here's this transition that Peter is going into to tell us what's to come, what's going to be happening, and he's wanting to tell us that so that that has an impact on how we live today. So keep that in mind as we go. He says, in these last days, scoffers will come. That, that's literally scoffers who scoff. 
I think that's so funny how he writes that out so blatantly. It's like, you know, scoffers, they scoff, ahoy. I don't know if you ever, I don't know why this comes into my mind, but uh, what about Bob? You ever watch What About Bob? And he's strapped to the mast and he's like, ahoy, I sail, I sail, right? Well, it's because he's strapped to the, that's what comes to mind. Peter's saying, scoffers who scoff, ahoy, I scoff. That's what I'm doing. They are ridiculing, they are looking at something and saying, that's not going to happen. That's not the way that it is. What God has said, they are negating, and they're going to do that willfully, as we'll see here. It says, scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts, according to their own desires. It's going to be their own desires that are going to be part of what causes them then to scoff. This is what we want. This is what we expect. And of course, it's always going to be that way because we know better than God himself, right? And so we're scoffing at all of this and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Now remember, he's already said, listen, you guys remember what the prophets have said. He's told us already in chapter 1 that there's exceedingly great and precious promises to us. So he's already spoken about this. He's saying, listen, where is the promise of his coming? That's what these scoffers said. He has promised to come, but where is that? How long has this gone on? Well, to this present time, from the time that the Lord was here before, we've already gone through, what, 2,000 years, roughly, right? <clears throat> so no wonder they're saying that. It says, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So these scoffers have a problem, and this is the problem. The problem is, is that they're looking at life, and they're seeing it just carry on day after day, and it all seems to be the same. And so what they expect is that everything else will stay the same going forward now. Nothing's going to change. Nothing has changed all through here. It's not going to change there. And that's what they're saying. All things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Verse 5. For this they willfully forget. Now when they say that, Peter is saying, listen, these guys know better. They're disbelieving what they've been taught, what they understand. They're going, la, 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 I don't believe that anymore. Why? Because of what I see. This they willfully forget, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. So Peter is saying, guys, listen, this is what those guys, those scoffers are saying, but they're forgetting something, right? They're forgetting that God spoke, and this whole world came into existence. It wasn't in existence before, but when he spoke, Poof, there it was, right? And God actually spoke and water and land separated. That, that was the beginning. You go back into Genesis chapter 1 and you'll read this. And then God actually spoke. He actually spoke through the mouth of Noah for 120 years to say, guess what? Water's going to flood this whole world. There's going to be a cataclysmic event that's going to affect this entire creation and that's what he's speaking about here right by which the, the the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water they're forgetting these things that God said see he he created it and it was this way but then guess what he spoke and it was all a mess and then of course we know the ark settled and and Noah and his and his family come out and God begins again 
And they look at all of this stuff and, and they know this, but they, nah, that's not that way. But he says then in verse seven, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, that same word that God spoke and things came into existence. And, sorry about that. God spoke and water separated. God spoke and waters came out of the deep and waters came down from the firmament and covered the whole land. Every time God said something, he did what he said he would do. God always has the power to accomplish what he says. He never speaks in something that is not true. The word of God says that he cannot lie. You can count on the fact that when God says something is going to be, it's going to be. Now, it may not happen in the time frame that you and I think it ought to happen in because we sit in the judgment seat, right? We often think, God, this is how that's supposed to go. He knows exactly how it's supposed to go. He knows exactly what the time is. And when he says that's the way it's going to be, nothing will stop that. But notice this in verse 7. The heavens and the earth which are now. You see, before that's what he created and this is what happened. But Peter says, but now, guess what? They're preserved by the same word. Oh, doesn't that bring uh, settledness to your heart in the, in the circumstances that we face as a culture, this whole global warming thing? I'm not saying that temperatures aren't rising or falling or anything like that. I'm just saying that there's no way, based on that word right there alone, there is no way that you and I are going to thwart what God has said he's going to do. It just won't happen. Notice it says, these heavens and this earth are now preserved by the same word. How does that happen? Because God spoke it. He said it. This is what's going to happen. It's not just preserved, but it's also reserved. They are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. God is preserving it, making sure it stays in the way that he has made it because he has an end in mind. And that end is going to be fire is going to affect it. He's going to, Peter's going to tell us some about this, what's going to actually happen. We can count on that. We can put our trust in that. We don't have to be scoffers. Oh, the science... And there's debate, right? I'm not trying to get into all that, but there's debate in regards to the science of it all and, and how much in my own lifetime I've seen scientific knowledge. Oh, we say this and then we find something else and we, well, discard that one and then we find something else and we discard that. And it's after a while you go, now, it changes so much. And we think we're so full of ourselves and how knowledgeable we are, but God is the one who knows. And when he says it, that's the way it's going to be. And you can count on that. These are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. That's when things are going to happen. He says then in verse 8, we'll pick this up, but beloved, do not forget this one thing. Listen, the scoffers are saying this, but you guys need to be solid on this. You, you can't be drawn away like in the false teaching. You can't respond to that and embrace that and say, yes, I believe that. No, guess what? You're going to believe a lie then. He's saying, I have reserved this. I am waiting for a time. And when that time comes, then I'll bring fire and it'll, it'll dissolve. We'll see that here. So do not forget this one thing. Don't, don't be unmindful of this, but be for, uh, remembering, right? Don't forget this one thing that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. 
Now, just so you know, like there's this argument out there, it's to me silly. People sometimes take this and they go, oh, well then therefore, what, when God says a thousand years, that's actually just one day, right? So for example, like God created the heavens and the earth in, in six days, so that actually was 6,000 years is what they're saying. That's not what he's talking about here. All he's saying is, is that time to God is different than it is to you and I. That when a thousand years goes by, God doesn't look back on that and go, whoa, that was a long time, right? It's as a day to him. It's just, in fact, he is outside of time. Time doesn't constrain him. So it's not something that, whoa, whoa, I'm a little late here. I need to hurry it up, right? It's not a thing like that. But that with God, as, as we see him working, he has all of eternity in mind. He's thinking that way. Now that's going to be a bit of a clue for us because Peter is wanting for us to think the same way. He says in verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He's not late. He's not impotent where he's not able to do that. He doesn't say things and then not keep his word. Right? He's not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. There, Peter is giving the explanation. Listen, these scoffers are saying, this has been the way that it's been, and why would we ever think it's ever going to change? And he's saying, you guys are missing it. He's not slack. He's not, he's not lazy about this. He's long-suffering. He's patient. It comes from a heart of care. It comes from a, a desire that all would come to repentance. Do you see that? He's, he's long-suffering toward us, not willing. He doesn't desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's on the heart of God. You can count on that. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now, let me just pause for a minute just to talk about this phrase, day of the Lord, just so we, we kind of get the understanding of that. There's a number of terms like this in Scripture. We'll see just in a, another verse or two, it's called the day of God, right? There's also the day of Christ. There's a number of phrases where it's the day of. This phrase, day of the Lord, is actually talking about what we describe as the second advent of the Lord. In other words, his first advent was when he came and was born. We celebrate that at Christmas time, right? He actually came and walked on this planet. He lived here for about 33 years, and then he went back to heaven. That was the first advent. Now the church age, which we are in, we're enjoying all of that, but that day will end eventually with coming of the tribulation. And that will happen as the rapture occurs right then and there. But when the Lord returns for you and I at the rapture time to take us back to heaven with him, he won't touch the planet. He, he won't put his feet on the ground. The scripture says that we will meet him in the air, right? The dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet him in the air, it says, and we will return to heaven with him, and that will go on for several years, and then the beginning of the day of the Lord will occur when the Lord himself will come back, and he will live on this planet and rule and reign for a thousand years. We call that the millennial reign, and at the end of that millennial reign, judgment will come 
And that's when this planet and these heavens will all dissolve. And that's called the day of the Lord. It's a length of time. It's not a 24-hour period. It's a length of time is what he's talking about. So look at this. He says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. That will occur. We have a rough view as we look at the promises of God, and, and he tells us things about that. And we'll see some of this in Daniel, okay? So, so I'm not going to take the time necessarily to prove it to you here, but but. We know that the tribulation is still to come, and then we know that he's going to come and he's going to set up his earthly reign, but we don't know the exact time of that. It's like a thief. We don't know exactly when a thief is going to arrive at our house, right? That's what he's saying. But that day will come, right, as a thief in the knife. It will come suddenly, and in which then, he says, it's in that day of the Lord. Now he's actually referring to the end of it, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. So something is going to happen at the end where all of this is going to be dissolved. All of this is going to be burned up. And that's the fact that Peter is putting out to us. He's saying the scoffers look at this stuff and they say, nah, the, <laughs> I don't believe that. He's saying, now you believers, let me tell you, let me make sure that you understand the truth here. Why? Because what we said, if you believe a lie, you live a lie. If you know the truth, then you live in accordance to the truth. That's what Peter's trying to teach us. And so he says in verse 11, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, notice Peter is not saying, hey, since I think that they're going to be dissolved, he's saying since they will be dissolved. This is, you can count on that. How do I know this, Peter says? Because it's by the word of the Lord. And what have we seen of the word of the Lord? He has always kept his word. Not one time has he ever failed. If he ever fails one time, just once, we're then in doubt, well, I wonder if this will be a failure too. But he's never failed. He has always done exactly what he says he will do. That's incredible. None of us have ever done that. Sorry, you might be the most honest person and you're not wanting to lie to people, but you don't get it all right. I don't get it all right. But he always does. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? In other words, in light of what I've told you, Peter is saying, you need to consider how you ought to be in your conduct, how you ought to behave, what your behavior should look like. And here is what he's saying. It should be in holy conduct. That conduct, holy conduct, is conduct that's separated unto him. It's not, I get to do my own thing. It's not, oh, I just follow along whatever the, whatever the wind and the waves are pushing me around in this world. It's no, what does God say about this? That's how I ought to be conducting myself. And in light of the end times and all that is coming, I ought to be thinking about that and it ought to affect the way that I live. He also says, not only in conduct, but in godliness. Is there an expression of godliness? Well, remember, he has been talking all through this book about being grounded, right? About growing in what? This very thing, in godliness. That God is, is changing us from the inside out, that more and more the life of Christ is being displayed in our mortal bodies. That ought to be a, a, a affected by how, what we know to come. He says, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Looking for. That, that's like with earnest expectation. 
and he's talking about hastening, like desiring. I want this to happen. I'll just tell you, as I was growing up and learning about some of this stuff, it was like, no. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be rebellious. I was just selfish. I just wanted what I wanted, right? I wasn't looking at what God was saying and going, yeah, bring it on, God. I'm looking around the corner. To, hey, is it coming yet? I wasn't doing that. Why? I would look back on my life and say, I think I was just caught up in the things of the world. And honestly, I was probably a scoffer. I don't know if I would have ever labeled myself in that way, but it's kind of like, like, oh yeah. I mean, I wasn't a scoffer, scoffer in the sense of I didn't think it was ever going to happen. I just didn't think it was going to happen in my lifetime, so goody, goody for me. I get to do all these different things that I want to do, and who cares? Eventually, we'll get there, right? Not, not allowing that truth or not being born along by that truth to consider, well, how should that be affecting the way that I live? I was probably, what was affecting the way that I live was more, I thought God was a big God with a big thumb and he went like this on you if you stepped out of line. That's probably more of what motivated me and drove me. Whoa, you don't do that kind of stuff because you're going to get on, right? That's what's going to happen. All wrong thinking, just so you know, in case you haven't labeled it that way yet. It's all wrong thinking. Peter is writing this and he's saying, guys, something is coming. You know it is because God has said it. And God always keeps his word. And so that ought to have some impact on our lives. Now for me, as I began to understand that and realize it wasn't having an impact on my life, I started biting my fingernails. I started getting worried about that. Oh, my word. How do I make this more valuable to me so that, oh, boy, I'll, I'll let it affect the way that I think? And I couldn't come up with it. And so eventually it was just like, well, I guess this is all I'm left with. I just kind of go through life, just kind of not really obedient to what God is saying here and hope for the best. But you know what I began to find out? that just like I needed God for my salvation, so I need him for my sanctification. And so it began to change my thinking. God, this is what your word says, but I can't do it. I'm trying, but it just I'm not, I'm not able to make that happen. Would you? Would you do that work in my life? And you know what's been fun? To be on the journey of seeing some of this begin to change. That's called being settled down, more stable, putting our roots down. That's called grounded and growing. I'm still in the process. I hope you're in the process with me. It isn't a wonder that we get to ask God for this. God, teach my heart about these things. Consider what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. That term right there, the day of God, is at the end of the day of the Lord. That's going to be eternity future is what that is. And he says, because of which, this coming day of God, because of which, the heavens will be dissolved. That explains for us, oh, no wonder in the day of the Lord, here's when the Lord comes and he sets up his earthly reign for a thousand years, and then there's judgment on the, on the world of unbelievers, right? Judgment comes there, and then he dissolves all of this. Why? Because he's starting the rest of eternity, the day of God. And that's what he says there. Because of which the heavens will be dissolved. They're going to be completely removed. Being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. He repeats himself but with kind of like gusto. Like 
Are you guys getting this kind of thing, right? Like, do you hear what I'm saying? It's all going to go away. It's all going to disappear. So all of this truth should be having an impact on the way that we live. I illustrated this last night in a number of ways. Some of the values that we have in our world that you and I succumb to so often, one of them is our health, right? We, we, we want to be healthy, and so we want to eat healthy, and we want, maybe want to do some exercise and jog and all of that kind of stuff. All good because it's taking care of this temple. But you know what happens? We begin to worship it. Well, I'm here to tell you at the end of my 50s that after a while it all starts sinking. Sorry to say that. Some of us have an ability to kind of hold that off a little bit longer, but it sinks nonetheless, right? You can, you can look at your vehicle. You can look at your home. You can look at your possessions. You can look at your fame. You can look at your money. You can pick anything you want in this world that you live for or that this world lives for, and it's all going into the garbage bin. Some of it much more readily and evident for us. When I was a kid growing up, <clears throat> if a car reached 100,000 miles, you were like, got to get rid of that thing, right? Because it's going to the garbage. And you could see all of these different <clears throat> junkyards with cars that are there just rotting away. They're turning back to dust is what they are. And my dad used to say, <laughs> you know what, son? My car's going to the boneyard his car is going to the boneyard too. He might have a newer one than me. It just will get there a little bit later, but it's going to the exact same place. Don't live for those things, son. I've lived for my home. I've wanted my home. I've made it thus and so, right? Like I, it's comfortable for me. But you know what? I have to work all the time. Something breaks. I've got to fix that. And it's always at the wrong time, right? And it always costs you money. And so you're constantly doing this, shoring this up. And maybe... Maybe your house will stand for a hundred years. Wow, we'll say. Maybe over in Europe, you know, some of these places have stood for, what, a thousand years or whatever. Like, wow, these are incredible. But just like this past week, a church steeple, I don't even remember where it was. <laughs> there it went, right? That's what's coming. All of these things are going to be dissolved. And because of that, if I live for these things, I need to realize they're all going away. Something should change. Something in my thinking, something that I am knowing ought to affect me so that I begin to live for eternity with that in mind and not for the momentary things that seem to satisfy but never actually do satisfy, right? Verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, you see, this is again why we need to know what the Word of God says. The Word of God makes certain promises. He's already told us these exceedingly great promises. We've looked at some of these things. We, according to his promise, because he has promised that this day of God is coming, <clears throat> we look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And that word look is with an intensity. It's not just kind of like, hmm, I wonder if it's over there. Oh, but squirrel, you know, oh, this is, oh yeah, that's right, I'm so, oh, but squirrel, right? It's not that, it's with intensity. It's looking, 
It's gazing off. It's kind of like shielding our eyes, like get the sun out of the way so we can see, hey, is, that co- is it coming now? Is it coming? Is it com- How about now? No, no, that's not it. But, oh, wait, is it coming? Maybe now, maybe now. You know what, guys? Right now we look at our world and it's falling apart. And I say it this way because generations before us have all said that too, right? So let's just be careful about some of this. But we look at it and it's falling apart. And so you know what we do? Right? Oh my word, what's going to happen? <laughs> what if it's just part of God's plan? What if it's part of this? What if we're actually getting to the end of the church age when the tribulation will come? Are we looking for that? It, not in a morbid way, but in a way of like, Ooh, God, here it, could this be it? If it's not, we'll, we'll look down the road a little bit further. But if it is, oh my word, we are about ready to begin, right? How cool is this? A whole different mindset. Why? Because we're thinking the way Peter wants for us to think. That there's some stability that he's, te- that he's said in these chapters that we've been growing and grounded in, Right? And be developed in the things of God so that this doesn't sway us. It doesn't cause, oh, 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 what are we going to do? How am I going to handle this? No, you know what? We know a God who cares for us. He meets every need that we've ever got. He's met our greatest need. So what else could there be? This is the God that we know. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we live with. And this is a place, he says, we're looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It's at home there. That means it's not at home here. Righteousness, not at home here. You're sw- if you're trying to live righteously, you're swimming upstream, just so you know that, if you haven't figured that out. It's hard, isn't it? It's all kinds of temptations. All- the world ridicules you because they're scoffers too. <laughs> what are you living like that for? That's stupid. You need to get a piece of the pie for yourself right now because no one else will give you that piece of the pie. Don't be thinking about that. That's just, that's hooey. That's, that's just kind of fairy tale. But, but boy, I'll tell you, what will really bring you happiness is you get a bigger, bigger house. That'll do it for you. Get a bigger house. See if it does that for you, right? How many things do we have to try out before we will finally come to that conclusion? God's right about these things. Therefore, verse 14, therefore, beloved, Looking forward to these things. There's another looking. You see how many times he's brought it? Look, look, pay attention. Have a, have a view for this. Looking forward to these things. Be diligent. Make every effort. There's that word again. We saw this in chapter one. Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Be diligent in that, you know what, when there's, when there's a rift between you and somebody else, take care of that. Don't, don't let that just drift on. Be diligent about that. Hey, as much as lies uh, within me, this is what the Word of God says, as much as lies within me, I'm supposed to live peaceably with all people. So to whatever degree, hey, I'm sorry about that. Would, would you forgive me? Uh, like, that was just the flesh in me. I want to make amends about that, right? You too. And so we're, we're walking together in unity. Well, you might not always accept that, but at least I'm wanting to reach out. I ought to be as a believer, right? Ought to be wanting to reach out like that. That's what he, be found. When he comes back, let's be found by him in peace and without spot and blameless. We already are positionally without spot and blameless. So he's talking about the way that we live. That the way that we live ought to not be something that, like for this word blameless, elders, this is a qualification for them. You must be blameless, meaning they can't be called in. We can't accuse, hey, this is what's true about it. Yeah, you know, and you know, and you know, it's all true, and it's true. No, I can make an accusation, but he's blameless because it doesn't stick. It's not right. That's what he's saying. 
So it's not perfect. We just, when we do things that are wrong, we get them right. <clears throat> and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Now, he's already talked about this, right? These, these guys think that he's slack, but we, we're not supposed to think that way. We're supposed to consider that his long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. He's providing opportunity for people to know him. And that means he wants to use us to communicate that same truth. Oh, i got to tell you about this God that I know. This God who made me and made you. And, and he loves you just like he loves me. And he died for me and he died for you. And you. If you don't know that, you need to know that, right? And we lay that out. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. Paul also is writing these same things. No surprise because inspiration of the Spirit of God, he's affecting Paul, he's affecting Peter. It's meshing. Jude also talks about, the whole scripture talks about these things and it all meshes perfectly because there's really one author and that's God himself. Our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. There are things, you've read him, right? You've read, to, uh, Paul has this, this propensity to have run-on sentences. Have you noticed that? Like, he would fail English. He just goes on and on and on about it. And you're, after a while, you're like, I can't follow where he's going. And, and I'm not real good at English diagramming sentences and stuff, and I hate it, so sorry, I just kind of let it ride. <laughs> that's, that's laziness. It's hard. Sometimes. Some things are hard to understand. He says, which untaught and unstable, unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Un un untaught, ignorant, they don't know, in other words. And unstable, these are the ones that he's been warning us. No, sink your roots down in. Don't be in this place of being unstable. Have some firmness to your faith. This is what he's talking about. Why? Because if you're ignorant or if you're unstable, guess what happens? These people twist to their own destruction. They take the scripture and literally torture it. That's what he's talking about there. They put it through torture. They twist it to say something. This is false teaching is what it is. Right? Understanding something that's not true. And guess what happens? To their own destruction. It has a destructive capacity to it. It impacts us that way. And they do that with the rest of the scriptures too. Last two verses. Peter has come full circle and he's saying, now listen, I got, okay, do I, have your hand, do I have your face in my hands, so to speak? Like, look at me here, right? Pay attention to this. You therefore, beloved, in light of all that I've been telling you, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, I've warned you beforehand, right? Now I'll just tell you, we are people who fail to heed the warnings. You want an example? The CEO of J.P. Morgan, which is the biggest bank in the United States, has said in this past week that in the next 10 years we will have a, crisis, a financial crisis like we've never had before in 10 years. And the former Speaker of the House said, you know what, guys? This is the most predictable crisis that the U.S. will ever face. We know it's coming. Our debt is racking up so fast. It's just... You know how, like the, the, if you watch the numbers, it's just going like that. And what are we doing about it? We continue to elect officials who look at that and go, well, print more money, spend more money, print more money, spend more money, print more money, spend more money, da, 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 right? It's the most predictable crisis. But what do we do? Nothing. 
Now, I'm not trying to get into politics. I'm trying to tell you that's an example of what he's talking about here. Since you know this beforehand, we have a choice to make. This is what the Word of God is telling us. And we have to decide, I believe that. I'm going to live in light of that. Or a scoffer. Come on, Tim. It won't happen. It won't happen in my lifetime, so I just continue to do what I'm doing. Beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. When you know these things, then you can be on guard so that you don't fall when false teaching comes, that you don't succumb to this scoffing kind of attitude, right? Beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. It's all consistent with what we've been talking about. The error of the wicked. Here, come this way. Come on. No, don't, no, don't, don't think that way. That's, oh, I know, yeah, day of God. But no, 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 come here, come here, right? Like, ah, look at all that this world has to offer for you. And, and you, you're being led away by that. He's saying, beware of that, people. It's not a scare tactic. He's just warning us. He's just telling us these are the facts. But then this is what he says in verse 18. <clears throat> But grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forevermore. Two things. Can I encourage you over the next five years, over the next five years to make these two things an emphasis in your life? To grow in the grace of the Lord. How could you do that? Let me suggest a few things. Study the word. I mean the word grace. Like actually get a Bible program and type in grace and find out where it appears and begin to, begin to read some of those places. <clears throat> Hang out with some people that you think exemplify the grace of God and see if God won't use them to mentor you and, and teach you some of that. <clears throat> Study through Scripture and you'll see multiple places where grace is expressed by the Lord Himself. The scripture actually says that Jesus was full of grace and truth, right? So as you watch him, you're going to see grace. Our ladies, women in the word, are actually going to be studying this very word here in just a little bit. There's a book called Discipline by Grace by John Strombeck. I'd highly recommend that to you. I'm just giving you some examples of over the next five years, Lord, I want to be inundated with this. Why? Because your word tells me here to grow in it. And I want, to be obe- I want to be diligent to do that. The other word there is, but grow in the knowledge of our Lord. And do you remember I told you that there's two different words? One is intellect and, and one is experience. Guess which word this one is? Intellect. That kind of surprised me. I thought it would be that fuller knowledge, that, that, that experiential knowledge. But no, 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 no. He's saying, hey, get to know him here. Know about him. You know how you can do that? Open your Bibles and read through the Gospels. And don't read them for the stories, but read them so that you might get to know him. What is he like when he's faced with two of his followers bickering about who's going to be best in the kingdom of God? How does he handle that kind of stuff? What is he like when a woman's being accused and they want to stone her? What, what does he do there? What is he like when there's someone who's so full of themselves that they think, oh yes, from my youth up, I've done all of this stuff. What is he like? How does he handle all that? And as you read through those gospels, you begin to know him 
And guess what happens? Do you remember that word behold that we were talking about over Christmas? That's what begins to happen. I'm looking at him. I'm learning about him. And I'm seeing him. I'm beholding him. And I'm falling in love with him. And I'm seeing more and more of his grace. And guess what else the Word of God says? As that happens, he changes me. It's him who's doing the work. That's why it says at the end, to him be the glory both now and forever. Amen, right? This is all because as, as we grow in this grace, as we get to know him more, and he begins to do the work that he promises he will do in our lives, he gets the glory for it. We recognize, I can't do these things, God. I couldn't do that for my own salvation, and I can't do it for my sanctification, but you can, and I'll trust you for that. And little by little, I'll just keep walking with you. This grow, just so you know, is in the active imperative. What that means is that we're being told, we're being commanded to do what I'm describing here, and we're being commanded to do it all the time. Not to just now, but now and now and now and now and now, right? That's why I'm saying over the next five years, just, just, begin, just ask God. Give me opportunities to grow in grace. Give me opportunities to grow in my understanding of you, Lord. That's what I long for. I'm not going to set everything else aside, but that's something I want to emphasize, and I'm going to read all that I can read. I'm going to study all that I can study. I'm going to hang out with fellow believers who are going to be part of that process in, in producing that in my own life. What a wonderful place we have here. Look, guys, I don't know. I don't know how long it's going to be before he calls us home in the rapture. I don't know what that, I don't know how many, many days we have left, but I know this. We've been warned by Peter beforehand. We're to be on guard and we're to be diligent about these things. I can't make that decision for you. You can't make that decision for me, but we can sure encourage each other in that, right? Let me pray. Father, <clears throat> thank you for your word. Thanks for um, Peter taking the time to write these things. Thanks for taking uh, us through that in the last three weeks and, and for giving us a bit of a, uh, maybe you would say a bird's eye view. We've gone fast through these chapters, Lord, and we've not uh, dug down too deeply into them. There's a lot more that you could teach us. But thank you for, for alerting us, for helping us to see what you have said and help us to have that confidence that you are a God of your word. You, you do exactly what you say you're going to do so that we might be diligent to be found by you as you appear, you come to take us home, that we would be pursuing these things that you've said. We ask that for each other because we love each other and, and we know that you want this for us. And so we're just looking for ways that we can encourage and stimulate each other in this. Thank you so much for it, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.